is A-M-E-M, the Alpha Male Entertainment Network. from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time. For the General, General Cigar, Cigar Day. Well, we are definitely recovering from Thanksgiving. In fact, I do not want to see turkey for at least the next month. I am turkeyed out. No more of the carbs for a while. Now it's time to enjoy great cigars, great libations, get back to the normal, normal dining festivities of uh, steak and other grilled products. And we've got a fantastic show lined up for you today, including a fantastic cigar that we will enjoy for litation, the Rocky Patel Number no. 6. As Rocky would say, it's smooth, it's balanced. Nobody works harder to make you a better Number no. 6 than I do, and he's right. It's a great cigar. We've got a special wine selection, bourbon barrel age that I found. Here's the best part. It will not break the bank. We've got to talk the enemies of pleasure. And, of course, espouse the alpha male lifestyle. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute. Semper delictatio. Always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. It is your global five-star general and alpha male-in-chief. Today we have moved the Ford Theater of Operations Command Center Alpha to the Davidoff of Geneva Store and Lounge. Why? Well, because I want Tommy D. Tommy Diadio, who is the senior executive vice president of the Corona Cigar Stores and Davidoff of Geneva Lounge here in the Cigar City to sample the wine selection. And we're going to talk about some other spirits, uh, bourbon spirits and other barrel selections that he has on tap. So we are going to do that. But today is a very important historical reference. It is the 78th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, a surprise preemptive military strike by the Imperial Japanese Navy Air Service upon the United States, which was at the time a neutral country in World War II. The Japanese attacked the naval base at Pearl Harbor in Honolulu, Hawaii, Sunday morning, December 7, 1941. The attack led to the United States' formal entry into WW2 the next day. Here is what President Franklin Delano Roosevelt had to say in a joint address to Congress the day after the attack at Pearl Harbor. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. No matter how long it may take us 
to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. The Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor commenced at 7.48 a.m. Hawaiian time. The base was attacked by 353 Imperial Japanese aircraft, including fighters, level-and-dive bombers, and torpedo bombers in two waves, launched from six aircraft carriers. All eight U.S. naval battleships were damaged. Four were sunk. All but the USS Arizona were later raised. Six were returned to service and went on to fight in the war. The Japanese also sank or damaged three cruisers, three destroyers, an anti-aircraft training ship, and one mine layer. 188 U.S. aircraft were destroyed. 2,403 Americans were killed. 1,178 others were wounded. And the important base installations were absolutely were not uh, uh, attacked, but the Japanese losses were light. 29 aircraft, five midget submarines lost, 64 servicemen killed. And one Japanese sailor, Kazuo Sakamaki, was captured. Japan announced a declaration of war on the United States later that day. And the following day, Congress declared war on Japan. And on December 11th, Germany and Italy each declared war on the U.S., and the United States was fully in World War II. Now, 78 years ago, that occurred. That was a major attack on the United States. That attack by the Japanese awoke a sleeping giant. The United States, after that point, got into full war mode. Plants, factories were converted. Our men, boys, enlisted in the Army to fight in the Pacific Theater and the European Theater. Women went into the workforce. Rosie the Riveter types went in. Car uh, assembly plants and other factories were converted to the war effort. And I will never forget, there's a great movie that you should watch called Torah, 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 about the attack at Pearl Harbor. And there's a great line where one of the Japanese uh, officers says to the Japanese admiral, we have a successful hit. And the Japanese admiral looked and said, I fear we have awoken a sleeping giant. And that is exactly what took place. Now, unfortunately, World War II history is not taught in schools anymore. The attack on Pearl Harbor is not taught because we can't offend the Japanese People from Japan, we can't offend Germans talking about World War II. It's history. It took place. And a failure of school children and of all Americans to remember the past, we will be condemned to relive it if we do not teach it and remember it. We remember it properly here on the Cigar Dave Show. And back in World War II, back in 1941 and in the early to mid-40s when the U.S. was in full-scale World War II mode fighting the Germans, fighting the other allied forces of Japan uh, or the enemy imperial forces of Japan and Italy and Spain, numerous songs were created to bolster the war effort, improve morale here on the mainland in the United States. And one of the songs, we remember Pearl Harbor.
history in every century records an act that lives forevermore. We'll recall as into line we fall the thing that happened on Hawaii shore. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we did the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to Now we appropriately memorialize the 2,403 Americans that were killed on the attack at Pearl Harbor by the Imperial Japanese forces. And it angers me to no end that American high school students and college students are so uninformed about American history, including World War II. I have stated many times over the years there should be one year of mandatory American history focused only on World War II history at the high school level. Maybe if they're lucky they get a few days because as we all know today now, American history is a taboo subject, is an evil subject, because America was founded as a colonialist power, according to these uh, absolute wackadoodles that unfortunately are spreading in school systems like cockroaches. We're seeing it all over campuses, not only on the high school level, but on the college level. And it is not only insulting, to the memories of all those who passed away, gave their lives for American freedom in World War II, but to everyone who fought 
to maintain our freedom in World War II. It is a shame. It is unacceptable. And it is, to me, disgusting that it is not being taught. It should be taught one year mandatory at the high school level. Go and talk to a high schooler today and ask, tell, tell me, December 7, 1941, what does the date mean to you? They'll look at you and say, uh, I don't know. June 6, 1944, invasion at Normandy. Uh, what, is, what, do you, what do you know about that? Uh, nothing. Ask, I'll tell you what, ask them who took place. This is a, ask this question. This is guaranteed you will get this answer. Ask a high school student today, what countries took place in the Spanish-American War? And I guarantee you they will get one of the countries wrong. Not Spain and America. They'll say, um, I don't know, the United States and Canada? Mark my words. Try it. And if that doesn't open your eyes, I don't know what will. But as far as I'm concerned, there should be absolute one year of mandatory World War II history. And I can tell you one thing that will never be forgotten. On this show and by me and all of you that listen, because I know all of you are patriotic, you know about World War II history, you know about the significance of World War II and our great veterans, the greatest generation. I had the operation, or operation I had the pleasure of conducting Operation Special Alpha Mission 111 about three years ago in Austin, Texas, at the home of Richard Overton, who at the time was the nation's oldest World War II veteran. Love cigars. I spent an entire half day with Richard and his cousin, and we sat, smoked cigars. I brought him two boxes of wonderful premium hand-rolled cigars. He loved them. He gave me a tour of his home. Could not have been more gracious. Well, I'm pleased to say that the Austin City Council on Thursday voted to approve the home of the late Richard Overton as a historic landmark. They are going to make it into a museum. Richard Overton was the nation's oldest World War II veteran at the time of his death at the age of 112, one year ago. Overton's cousin, Valma Overton Jr., who I had the pleasure of spending time with, spent the last several months working to get Richard's home approved through the city's historic landmark commission. It was done, and Thursday's vote finalized the commission's recommendation to approve the landmark and is one step closer to becoming a museum, which was one of Richard Overton's final wishes. And it is incredible, because when you... I didn't know where he lived. I mean, I didn't know a phone number. I went from Austin Bergstrom Airport, got off, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to type in Richard Overton Way. And sure enough, I figured I didn't know a house number, and you couldn't miss it because there were giant banners and posters ever. Happy birthday, Richard. Thank you for your service, Richard. And I said, I have found the spot. I have found Richard Overton. And I wasn't the only person that found him. When, when I was sitting on the porch smoking cigars with Richard, there must have been 100 people over the course of four hours or so that rode by, that were jogging by on their bikes, young people, middle age, every age, waving to him, thanking him. And it was really apparent the love people had for Richard Overton. A GoFundMe account a campaign was set up to help Richard's in-home medical care expenses so he could remain in his house. 
They tried. They thought they were going to be able to raise maybe $75,000, $100,000 if they were lucky. They raised more than $450,000. And his cousin said that Richard was thankful for all the donations that people gave the last two years of his life so he could remain in his home. And while he was alive, Richard treated his home as a museum. He had artifacts, pictures with the presidents, from uh, just paintings, a sculpture that was made of him of, of, from friends and strangers. Just an incredible guy that loved to hold court on his porch. He had his usually six to ten cigars a day. Some have a Tampa Nuggets, Swisher Sweets, but I gave him some good premium cigars. And he told me that his father said, put a tablespoon or a teaspoon of whiskey in your uh, coffee every morning. Keeps your muscles nice and limber. He was right. The guy lived to 112. Something must. And he was up until, I think, 109 he was driving. So clearly something was right. And here's something I didn't realize. Every day he always wore a World War II veteran baseball cap. What I did not know and I found out. When uh, it was, they talked about it at the city council to approve making Richard Overton's home into a historic landmark, that Richard would always keep two spare cigars underneath his cap, above his head. So if he ran out, he always had a couple extra spares to go. And uh, his cousin told a story that we'd be sitting out the, out of the porch, he'd run out of cigars, and. He'd, Volvo would say, well, I'll go get you some more cigars, Richard. He said, no need. He'd pull off his hat, pull one out, fire it up. He always, now there's a man, a military man that always was prepared. And people visit him from all around the world. So it is going to be a wonderful, it's, I think it's great that the city council has voted to make it a historic landmark. And now Volmo, which is Richard's cousin, is working with uh, Houston Tillotson University to take care of the property, the artifacts inside, so that it is curated as a museum. And one thing that has not been touched since Richard passed away, when he went into the hospital, Richard's final cigar that he smoked, smoked it about a third of the way, is still in the ashtray, has not been touched And his cousin said, I will not touch it. It will remain there. So Richard's legacy will be there for many, many years to come. And I think that uh, we talk about learning about World War II history. We talk about remembering World War II events, Pearl Harbor and and, uh, the invasion of Normandy. Here's a man, Richard Overton, that spent his service in World War II in the Pacific Theater of Operations. He talked about, uh, when I, I chatted with him, he talked about his recollections about World War II, how he found out it was over, what he did when he came back. But a great American, 112 years he lived, and as always, a snappy salute to the great Richard Overton. May he rest in peace. He was a gentleman, a wonderful guy. It truly was an honor and a privilege to meet America's oldest living veteran at the time. He was 111, made it to 112, and we have got, we'll put a link up at CigarDave.com of the interview. We did audio and video interviews that we've run. Operation SAM 111, Special Alpha Mission 111. What a great honor it was indeed. All right, everybody gets offended these days. The latest example is Peloton. It's that exercise bike where 
you subscribe, there's a video screen, and you participate in these workouts with virtual instructors via video. These machines are expensive. They're like $2,500, $3,000. And then there's a subscription price per month. They went public. The stock's in the tank. I don't know how many of these things they can sell. But in any event, big ad under, underway right now on television to sell Pelotons for the holidays. And this ad features a husband giving his wife a Peloton. Take a listen. Okay, you ready? Yes. Now. A Peloton? Give it up for our first time ride. All right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Yay. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. Let's go, Grace in Boston. 50 rides. She just said my name. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Now, I have no problem with the ad. The husband buys the wife a Peloton. Maybe the wife wanted it. Whoa, Nelly, not so fast, my friends, because in 2019, everyone gets offended about some nonsensical thing, and it's a perfect example. Now women took to social media, even men slamming Peloton. How on earth could you run an ad featuring a husband surprising his wife? It's insinuating that his wife almost has needs to lose weight or get in shape. Maybe she's got a big ass, a big caboose. Of course, it went on and on. Everybody offended, saying it's sexist. Now, what if, on the other hand, the wife gave that to the husband? People would say, that what a wonderful, loving wife. She cares about her husband's well-being. She cares about her husband's health. How lovely. That is perfect. But if a man does it for a woman, forget about it. Did anybody ever think, I know it's a fictional commercial, maybe the fictional wife told the fictional husband, you know, honey, I'd really want one of those $2,500 Pelotons. If you could give me one of those, that would be great. Maybe that's what she wanted. But again, today, everybody has to get offended. Instead of the company saying, we're also going to do a version of the commercial where a woman buys the husband a Peloton, they had to apologize and take it off. Why? Because every American executive and company today, where everybody easily gets offended, they're a bunch of giant pussycats. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Tradition 
traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. The holiday season is upon us. Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's. We're in the home stretch of 2019. Hard to believe. Joining us right now is our wonderful host, the host with the most. That would be Tommy Diadio. Tommy D, the Senior Executive Vice President of Spirits Procurement for the three Corona Cigar Stores in Orlando and the Davidoff Geneva Store Lounge here in the Cigar City of Tampa. Tommy, you look like you're winded. You look like you're a little busy today. What's going on? Oh, it's Christmas time. A lot of events. My father tonight, Maker's Mark Engraving. Tomorrow we got uh, Horse Soldier and uh, an American. Lots of, lots of great spirits. I was here yesterday, and I know that you had uh, Sazerac coming in. You're doing some barrels, I think, with them. Yep. Uh, Four Roses. Four Roses, uh, yeah. I think you had about a dozen glasses yesterday. I had Snifters ready to go. I, I did a bourbon repeal day yesterday. That's what it was, bourbon repeal day. Somebody has to take one for the team, <laughs> and we will do that with a great cigar and libation today. I pulled out a brand-new cigar. It is the Cigar Dave Officers Club, uh, correction, November 2019 selection, the Rocky Patel Number no. 6. Let me tell you the story on this cigar. About a year ago, I'm down at Rocky Patel headquarters down in Naples, Florida. Cousin Nimish Desai comes in with a giant box that came in from their factory. And he starts bringing out all these cigars in bags. And it's got number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. Like number, all the way up to like number 16. All these different blends. So we're all around the table. It's Rocky, it's Nick, it's Nish Patel, Rocky's brother, Nimish, Dave Bullock, their VP of sales, a few other people. And, uh, of course, we had the Johnny Walker Black opened up middle of the day. And they start handing out cigars, and we're smoking all these cigars. And we take a few tastes of each one. And after about 16 different cigars, we go back and say, okay, which one did we like? And I said I like number six. Rocky's number six. Nish liked something else. Nimish liked number six. So and then we smoked another number six after lunch, and Rocky said, this is it. Then Rocky said, we need to come up with a good name for this cigar. I love this cigar. It's got a nice flavor profile. It's medium-bodied. It's balanced. It's refined. It has nice top notes of sweetness, subtle hints of vanilla and coffee. The number six, this cigar stands out unlike anything we've ever made at Rocky Patel. So then, of course, they're talking about names. Nobody can come up with a name. Fast forward, about a week before the Cigar Retailers Convention, I get uh, a box from Nimish, and of course, there is the new cigars. And I see number six. So I called Nimish. I said, wait a minute, what's going to be the name of this cigar? He said, number six. I said, no, that's the blend. What, what did you guys decide to name it? He said, number six. We couldn't come up with a name, so we decided we're going to call it the number six. Beautiful Honduran Corojo wrapper, Honduran Hamastron 
binder. The filler is Honduran Hamastron, Nicaraguan Jalapa. Again, it's got nice medium notes. There's enough robustness to the cigar, a lot of flavor, some espresso notes, some coffee. It's a very nice cigar. Comes in about five different sizes. I've got the Toro, which is six and a half inches in length by 52. Nice big band at the top. There's a secondary band on the foot of the cigar that you pull off, which is very nice as well. Tommy, you haven't had this cigar, have you? No, not yet. So this is a first for you. Didn't Rocky give some of these to you at the Cigar Retailers Convention? Yeah, but I give away, I give all that stuff to my guys. Oh, there you go. All right, well, now you're having it for the first time. They just shipped a few weeks ago. Again, this was our uh, November 2019 Officers Club selection. The Rocky Patel, number six. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Giant self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine in my hand. By the way, Tommy, I borrowed this from behind the register. I will bring it back, just, <laughs> just for the record. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. All right, this we call the welder's torch because, again, it feels like a welder's torch. You could probably, if you were going to build and erect a, a, a skyscraper, you would use this, this to mm -hmm. basically weld the steel joints uh, and rebar together. Giant flame, that's what I'll use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. All right, perfect cut. I'll toast the foot of this cigar. There you go, Tommy. There's a cutter for you. I will I toast. Use my, I use my fingers. Uh, use the thumb like they do in the factory. Mm -hmm. at, uh, I remember Manuel Casada taught me that. You have to worry about Tanya. She's in England right now, so she's not watching us. Oh, she's not. She's oh, she's in the UK. <laughs> is she UK. visiting Boris Johnson? I don't know who. Or she's, the Queen? I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, lovely. Now she's staying with uh, the Prince and Camilla. Maybe. Oh, lovely. Very nice. Okay. All right. I'll puff and rotate here. Very nice draw. Nice flavor. Very nice. Perfect, even amber cut, Tommy. The lightation device is yours. We take a few puffs here. Very nice. Right off the bat. Definitely getting a little espresso, a dark espresso. Almost a, just a slight peppery note on the back of the palate. And this is it starts to burn, you'll notice some changes. A very nice cigar, the Rocky Patel number no. 6, already getting incredible uh, feedback from our Officers Club members. And by the way, if you're not a member of the Officers Club, go ahead and join. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars for December. Big announcement, the Gurkha Real. Did you have that, Tommy? Yeah. Nice, meat, mild to medium-bodied, creamy cigar from Gurkha. That will be the December 2019 Officers Club selection in 2020. We've got great selections lined up as well. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, I was in the supermarket with Cigar Mother a couple of days after Thanksgiving. And as I am going through the wine shelves looking for some splits of cava or some champagne or sparkling wine for Cigar Mother... I happened to find a little selection of Robert Mondavi private selection wines. And they had a little feature set up there on the shelf, aged in bourbon barrels. So immediately it gains my attention. And I see that there's numerous. There's one that is a Cabernet Sauvignon from Monterey County 2017. 
aged in bourbon barrels. And I noticed that they also have a red blend that is aged in rye barrels. They've got a Chardonnay that is also aged in bourbon barrels and a Merlot in rum barrels. So I'm looking at this saying, you know what? Let me take a look at the price. I think it was $12.99. So I said, for $12.99, I can't go wrong. I'll give it a try. And I've got my Coravan. So the nice thing about this Coravan system, you put it in, it's got argon gas, injects into the bottle. You don't have to open up and uncork the bottle. So if you just want to have a glass today and then another glass in a year from now, the wine doesn't turn. So I'm going to pour. I've got the Robert Mondavi Private Selection aged in bourbon barrels. And again, now, Tommy, were you familiar? Have you heard of this yeah. uh, new Mondavi? Yeah, they even do another one in uh, Pat Van Winkle barrels. It's a Spanish uh, Rioja. Well, this is Monterey County. And again, for the, let me give it another tap on the Coravan here. Again, for the price, I looked, and it's available everywhere. I mean, you go online uh, to their website, and it's incredible where it is available. Now, before I go ahead and take a sip here, I'm going to swirl it. I want to volatize the esters, release some of the oxygen. But let's talk about the bourbon barrel-aged Cabernet Sauvignon. Let me give you specifically what this is. It's won all sorts of awards. And on this particular, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is a combination. I'm just looking here because I believe that it's a combination. Wait, I want to make sure I've got it right here. There is Cabernet. I believe there's a little bit of Merlot. There's It's a, it's a combination of three, yeah. but overwhelming it is Cabernet. It's called Cabernet because they use 78% at minimum. Correct. And there's several other wines, so I'm going to swirl that around. <laughs> Let me take a sniff on the nose. A Thousand Stories is another line that does bourbon barrel stuff. Yeah, very nice sweetness. Nice bouquet. I will say cheers, Tommy. Here we go. We'll give it a try here. Taste very the subtle. At the end. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I'm definitely getting some graham cracker on here. Little blackberry. Almost a little bit of um, very subtle, almost like an apple pie type of taste. Let me take one more sip here. Mm. And then at the end, you get a very subtle note of the bourbon, almost the bourbon wood barrel, but very, very pleasant. Very nice. Tommy, what do you think? For $12.99. It's very nice. You can't really go wrong. Now, I want to try the Chardonnay. I also picked up a bottle of the Chardonnay. That is being refrigerated, so maybe next week or the week after mm. we'll do the Chardonnay. Yeah, I'm just laughing at your text the other day when you sent me the Van Winkle uh, hot sauce and all that, and now I just brought up that the Van Winkles are making uh, wine in barrels, too. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I see this thing saying there is now a new hot sauce that is aged in old Pappy Van Winkle yeah. barrels. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how many more Pappy Van Winkle line extensions? Yeah. Pretty soon we're going to have Pappy Van Winkle deodorant. They got tequila. <laughs> do they really? Yeah, they do tequila in a Pappy barrel. They do the wine in the Spanish wine. They got the cigars. Now they got the bourbon fermented uh, Pappy Van Winkle from Jewish Day coming back out. I'll tell you, this wine for 12 bucks. Yeah. I've seen it lower, 10.99, <clears throat> 10 to 14 bucks. Not bad. This is the kind of wine, keep a couple of bottles. Yeah. And, you know, at home, if you like a cab, if you like, uh, I tell you, I want to try the the uh, rum barrel aged. That's the next one that I've got to try. So I'm going to give that one a try. I'm trying to remember what we said on that one. I think we said that was the Merlot, if I'm not mistaken. But the Robert Mondavi private selection, I mean, for the price, you absolutely cannot go wrong. Rum barrel aged Merlot. And I'm not a Merlot person, but I will definitely. I like Merlot. I'll tell you what I'd like. 
The red, the red blend I'd like to try. What I'd like to see is that they did a Pinot Noir yeah. with a with a bourbon barrel. I think that would be actually pretty good. But the other one is the rye barrel-aged red blend. So with the rye, that's probably going to have spice. a little bit more spice to it. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So not bad. We've got our Rocky Patel number 6. Goes perfectly with the Robert Mondavi Private Selection Bourbon Barrel-Aged Cabernet Sauvignon. We will continue front and center from our forward theater of operations, the Forward Command Center Alpha at the Davidoff of Geneva Store and Lounge around the corner. Get the latest cigars, hand-picked by the General, each month, delivered straight to your door. When you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club for just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. Cigar connoisseurs and enthusiasts love going into their retailer's humidor and seeing what's new, what's exciting. It's like a kid in a candy store. And we've got a great way that you can enjoy and sample fabulous cigars from incredible manufacturers. It's the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Every month, you will receive three fantastic cigars in an Officers Club Ziploc pouch shipped directly to you for $22.95. Now, in the past year, we've had incredible selections. We had the world of Davidoff, which featured an Avo and a Davidoff Winston Churchill. We've had cigars from A.J. Fernandez, from Rocky Patel, from Placencia, Drew Estate, Sindicato, Fonseca. Incredible cigars that you will love. Become a member of the Officers Club today. Join now. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. You will absolutely love it. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away The great Francis Albert Sinatra, the chairman of the board, which reminds me that next Thursday would be Frank Sinatra's birthday. And tomorrow, Sammy Davis Jr. I got spilkies, baby. I mean that. Tommy, you're great, baby. I mean that. The great Sammy Davis. And last week, November 30th, was Portuguese Princess Colleen's birthday. So happy birthday to Portuguese Princess Colleen and an abstentious Sammy Davis Jr. and the great Frank Sinatra. Now, 
not only Frank Sinatra's birthday, but I found a great story that recently was told by Harry Connick Jr. He was appearing on the U.K. show called This Morning. Maybe Mick the Brit watches that. I don't think Mick the Brit gets up that early to watch This Morning. But uh, Harry Connick Jr. recalled that he did not have a great experience meeting Frank Sinatra. Let me explain. He recalled a completely inappropriate encounter when Sinatra kissed his wife, former model Jill Goodacres. So let me back this up here. According to Connick Jr., the moment occurred after Connick says he blanked out when he was performing for Sinatra. Connick claimed that when he went to apologize to Sinatra for his lackluster performance of Fly Me to the Moon, the... Sinatra embraced his then-girlfriend, called her beautiful, and proceeded to kiss her on the lips. He said that was an unpleasant experience because as much as I wanted to sing for Sinatra and everyone else, I just don't get nervous, but I was really nervous for that, and I blanked out. I completely forgot the words. I was with my wife, then, my, uh, then at the time my girlfriend. We saw Frank in the elevator, and I said, we should go. I need to explain myself. So he goes up to Sinatra. He says, I'm sorry, Frank. I'm much better than what you saw. He didn't care. He looked at his wife, placed her face in his hands, and said, you're beautiful. Kissed her on the lips, walked out of the elevator, and that was the end of that. Now, I can see Sinatra doing that. Oh, Can't yeah. you see doing oh, it? Yeah. I mean, walking. I could just see Frank having like a tuxedo. Sweetheart, you're beautiful. Putting his hands, in a, you know, loving on her cheeks, giving a kiss. And that's the end of that. Now, apparently, Harry Connick Jr. thought it was inappropriate. However, his wife said it was funny, enjoyed it. So Harry Connick Jr. had the problem, but the wife didn't have a problem with it. Now he said, of course, today in the Me Too movement, it would be you know, totally unacceptable. You know, He said, my affection for him in the context, uh, uh, my wife thought it was hilarious, but it's completely inappropriate. Harry, grow a set of nads, okay? Let me tell you, how many women back in the day, if Frank Sinatra went up to them, and said, sweetheart, you're beautiful, and put his hands lovingly on their cheeks and just gave a kiss. You think they'd say, oh, I feel so violated. They'd say, I'm never washing my lips again. Frank's, today they'd say, I need a picture. Take a picture of Frank with his lips on mine, okay, and his hands on me. It is incredible to me how today everybody wants to make everything a sexual harassment, a sexual crime. It's nothing more than... A guy who was well-known at the time saying, sweetheart, you look great. I do that all the time to women I do and give them a kiss. I don't kiss them on the mouth. Well, some beg me to. The harem, they always beg me to, but I'm polite. But if I see a woman that I know or even that I don't know, I go, you are absolutely lovely. What? You are stunning. Give her a kiss. And they're like, oh, thank you so much. Wow. Makes them feel good. It flatters them. As long as you're doing it sincerely. But today... You've got to be, you know, oh, I can't touch a person. I've got to be within three feet. I've seen pictures now where celebrities will not even put their hand around a woman. Keanu Reeves. Right. He didn't put his hand around her. He had it behind, yep. like, you know, eight inches so that he couldn't get into a hashtag me too type situation. I cannot tell you the number of women. When we take pictures, Sergeant Steve, you'll attest to this at the Pleasure Fest. We have women. They come up to me and they want to hug me and take a picture. I put my arm around them. I don't put my hand on their ass. I don't put my hand on their side boob. I'm polite. I put it on their shoulder, on their back, whatever. But everybody's making a giant deal out of this today. And this is what we are seeing in this society where all of a sudden, if you are polite, you 
give a compliment. You look gorgeous. You look lovely. I love those shoes. That dress, you look hot. Wow, do you look super hot. All of a sudden, you're going to have a certain number of people saying, well, I'm offended. Why do women, let me ask you this question, and I pose this to both of you, Sergeant Steve and Tommy D. Many women love to show their ample decolletage, ample rackage and stackage. It is flying out. Do you think they don't want attention? Do you think they do that because they don't want men to notice? No. They do want men to notice. They know they look good. They know they look hot. And as a man, as a gentleman, as an alpha, I'm happy to oblige by saying, you look lovely. You look smoking. You look like one woman I recently saw. I said, you know, you don't look like a million bucks in that dress. You look priceless. That's how hot you look. And she's like, really? Oh, my God, you're so nice. Thank you so much. Everybody likes a compliment if it's sincere. But I don't know any woman that dresses, if they really wanted to not show anything, they'd wear one of those Laura Ashley dresses with the lace all the way up to the top of their neck and not reveal anything. Sergeant Steve, am I correct? They're called boobs, Ed. They're called boobs, Ed. That is correct. Tommy D., am I correct? You are correct. Right. Exactly. So when a woman comes in, being polite. Now, Tommy D., let me ask you, because you are uh, not only the senior executive vice president of Spirits Procurement for the three Corona cigar stores in Orlando and the Davidoff store and lounge in the Cigar City, also the general manager here. So you know what's going on. What are you seeing? Have you seen any changes in buying habits or any changes in terms of consumers' profile taste-wise they're looking for? What are you seeing moving you know, it's the going into the Christmas it's season? St- it's still Ecuadorian Connecticut. That mild to medium is still the number one profile where people smoke. We sell a lot of out-of-bays now, which is that's really taken off. Nelson from uh, Byron's from them. Uh, all the old brands all still sell. We don't do very well with Alec Bradley. I don't know what it is. And I love Alec Bradley. I love him. They He's got a great, a great Connecticut. They got. Yeah. I love their Connecticut. In fact, our January Officers Club selection is coming from Alec Bradley. Yeah. And they are. They make fantastic cigars. Uh, and I know that I go into other stores. They are just flying like crazy. And their Connecticut is great. Look, I think their Max, which is a reasonably priced cigar. It's a value-priced cigar off the shelves. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I'm a, I, listen, the Prensado I love. There's, they really don't make anything that I don't really enjoy. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Connecticut because we always hear so many people saying full-body cigars that mm-hmm. get the attention. Super full, super, super heavy cigars. But what really moves are the mild to medium-bodied yep. cigars. Our Officers Club selection for December is the Gurkha Real. Yeah. That's going to be a creamy, creamy. mild to medium-bodied cigar with a Connecticut Ecuadorian wrapper. So you hit it right on the head. I think everybody that goes to that strong profile, eventually they come back to balance. And that's what we most of the people smoke is balance. They want something that's not going to you not gonna clear the back of your throat. It's harsh. It's not going to hit the salty part of your mouth where your mouth is watery. They just want creaminess on the top. Look at the Padron 1926. I yeah. think that's the fullest of all the Padrones. Yeah. But it's so balanced, it's yep. incredibly smooth. So even a mild cigar connoisseur, medium-bodied, smokes one. I'll give one to them, and they're like, man, this is great. That's this because is they're aging in six to eight years is why. Well, that's the, that's the they, don't rush, they don't rush no. anything at Padron because to them it's all about right. quality. You well, never hear anybody say, boy, I had a Padron cigar and it was bad. No. It, wasn't, it wasn't aged properly. <clears throat> it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't rolled properly. Nobody says no. that because the Padrones are absolute hawks when it comes yeah. to, and every cigar comes up to Miami, and they personally expect yeah. Jose O. Padron, who passed away two years ago this week. I remember him sitting at his desk in Little Havana looking at every single cigar to approve it before it was cellophane. Tommy D. will continue around the corner. Much more coming your way. Alpha Male Pleasure Maneuvers next hour. 
the enemies of pleasure, the Thought Police, are going after a classic Christmas winter song from Dean Martin. And we have got Dina Martin, the daughter of Dean Martin. She was on Fox News a few weeks ago. We're going to hear what she has to say about Baby, It's Cold Outside, the new version coming up around the corner. Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General, General Cigar, cigar Dave. Holiday season is upon us. Thanksgiving over. We're in December. The holidays are here. Hanukkah, Christmas, New Year's, big month, a lot of activity. We've got our big champagne and sparkling wine tasting maneuver in three weeks. Get ready for that. I don't know. Sergeant Steve, you think we can break a record? I think uh, the most we've done, what, is maybe like 16? I don't, I, I don't want to do the beer because we tried, I think, 45. That's going to be a little bit too much. But we'll have a great selection for you as we are underway. And, you know, when you think about the holiday season, you think about great holiday songs. And one of those songs by the great Dean Martin. Hey, Dean Martin. Reminds me of that movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. What was the name of the dean at this college that he went to? Dean Martin, of course. Last week, I happened to be channel surfing, and I happened to see Back to School on one of the networks. Watched it again. Cracking up as much as I did when it first came out. I don't know. It was like 25, 28 years ago. Rodney Dangerfield, the great Dean Martin. But speaking of Dean Martin, there is a classic winter song, holiday song. Yes, it's around the holidays, but you could play it all winter long, any time of year. Because when you listen to the great Dean Martin, with his dulcet tones and just his smoothness and his slickness. And just, you can just picture Dean with a little cocktail in his hand, the tuxedo. I think Dean Martin wore a tuxedo 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's like Sinatra. Every time you'd see him, they had tuxedos. I wouldn't mind going back to that for certain times when you go into a casino in Vegas. You go back to that elegance. We've kind of lost that. Not wearing a tuxedo every day, but those guys just look great. Even when they undid their bow tie. You know, after they were performing, they still look cool in their tuxedo. Well, there's a great song known all around the world that Dean Martin sang. Initially, it was written way, way back. It was part of a movie, I believe. Frank uh, Lesser, 1944, uh, wrote that. But Dean recorded it and really made it famous. Baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. Got to go but away. baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been, been hoping that you drop so me I'll hold your hands, they're just like My ice. Mother will start to 
beautiful what's your Listen to the fireplace roar Beautiful, please don't Put some records on while I pour Baby, it's bad out there No cabs to be had out there Your eyes are like starlight now I'll take your hat, your hair looks swell Mind if I move in closer What's the sense of hurting my pride? Baby, don't hold out Baby, it's cold I see nothing sexual in any way, shape, or form in that song. It's basically about Dean or a man saying, it's cold outside. Stay with me. I'll keep you warm. Don't leave. I want you to stay. Nothing wrong with that. He's not saying, baby, stay so I can bang the hell out of you. He's not saying that. It's a romantic song. I've never heard one woman say, that song offends me. You know what women say? I love that song. Dean Martin, he's just so cool. Well, Baby It's Cold Outside is under attack by the hashtag MeToo movement. Because if you smile at a woman incorrectly today, hashtag MeToo. If you compliment a woman the wrong way, hashtag MeToo. If you say good morning to a woman and she's not a morning person and is grumpy, hashtag MeToo. I say hashtag screw all that too. It's enough. Well, Dean Martin's daughter was on Fox News with Martha McCallum not too long ago. And there was a new version of Baby It's Cold Outside that was recorded by Kelly Clarkson and John Legend. And, of course, they tried to change the lyrics to make it politically correct. So there's no hashtag MeToo uh, uh, involvement in it. But this is what Dina Martin, and I have had the chance to meet Dina Martin at the Italian Festival, Fiesta Italiana, here in the Cigar City, got to be about, I'd say maybe eight years ago, ten years ago, could not have been lovelier. I met her backstage, spent about 15 minutes with her and her husband, could not be nicer, very pleasant, just great personality. She performed. She was fantastic. And I must say, a lovely, very elegant woman looks great. Well, here's what she had to say when discussing the lyrics revision by John Legend and Kelly Clarkson. I think it's just insane. Uh, you know, first of all, I love uh, John Legend and Kelly. You know, they're, they're fabulous entertainers. Yeah, they're but great. what on earth are they thinking? You, you know, why, uh, why change the lyrics to this classic? It was written in 1944 by Frank Lesser. It won the Academy Award mm-hmm. in 1949. And it's a, you know, to me, it's always been a sweet, uh, classy, flirtatious song that, that there's nothing wrong with. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I mean, I sing it, it, it all my it's, all my shows. It's great. And, you know, to me, it always feels like a little play almost. You know, there's this whole story between the two of them and this sort of flirtatious dance, as you say. But then, you know, when we got into the Me Too era and when she says, you know, what, hey, what's in this drink, you know, um, which I just think is harmless in this case when you listen to the whole song, but it got so much attention. You know, what What do you think, you know, when we start sort of recrafting, the, have we lost our ability to just say something is cute and flirty at this point? I think we have. You know, I mean, it's it's gone, it's gone a little crazy. I think that uh, John Legend and Kelly, their version is has brought it, made it more sexual. 
This is absolute nonsense. I mean, it is going way the hell too far. When all of a sudden today that lyrics that in no way, shape, or form are connoted to be sexual in innuendo or nature, it is simply a guy that's saying, it's cold, stay with me, I want you to stay with me. There's nothing that is in any way, shape, or form could be considered to be sexually harassing. We have gone in this country. Here's what's hap- here, Here's what happens. I'll give you my analysis here. Think of the United States as a pendulum. The pendulum is in the center. All of a sudden, we go way excessive to one side of the spectrum and then way back to the other. We never go back to the middle. So, for example, in this particular case with Me Too, there are a couple of scumbags, the Harvey Weinsteins, Les Moonves, a couple of other guys that absolutely use their power and abuse their power with women. It's unacceptable. Don't paint the entire male species like that. I'm an alpha. I'm a gentleman. We treat women well. We don't sexually harass women. We don't beat women. In fact, part of being an alpha male is treating women great, is being polite and being chivalrous, opening the door, pulling the chair back when a woman goes to sit down, uh, ordering for a woman, being polite. Those are things that represent and connote what an alpha male is all about. So we have a couple of these scumbags. A group of scumbags, primarily the Hollywood types or some of these other entertainers or other people in power. But to all of a sudden paint a broad brush and say that every single man is is or could be guilty of sexual harassment is nonsense. We go way too far. So we had men that went way too far, so the pendulum went way to one side, and then instead of coming back to the center saying, These guys do not represent mankind or male kind. They are a small subset of men that have serious issues. Look, Harvey Weinstein couldn't get laid in a whorehouse for money. He's so damn ugly. He looks like Roger, or uh, what's his name, Uh, Moore, Michael Moore, who hasn't had a bath, needs to get on a treadmill. Please, there is no way in hell Harvey Weinstein could get a dame by himself. He had to sexually harass women and use his power. Now, Les Moonves wasn't a bad-looking guy. It's not like he looked like uh, uh, Harvey Weinstein or, or, or uh, uh, Moore, Michael Moore. But for whatever reason, he used his power, put women on the casting couch, and he used his power to block women from that didn't want to play his game from, from climbing the ladder. That's unacceptable to me. So instead of saying, we're going to single out those people, pendulum's going to move back. We can still, men can still be polite with women. We can still have songs that are flirtatious. No. All of a sudden now, you've got a small number of women, hostile women, women that also can't get laid in a whorehouse for money, women that can't attract a man because they've got more facial hair than I do, and I don't get 5 o'clock shadow. I get 10.30 a.m. in the morning shadow because I've got a thick beard. They have more facial hair and more chest hair than I do. These are women that basically are so mean and so unhappy and miserable that they have to go and try to destroy and desecrate an entire uh, um, species, the male species. So instead of saying these are a small subset, everything else, life goes on, 
to those men that were guilty or are guilty of harassing women and using the casting couch per se, they should be called on the carpet. But to the rest of men, the overwhelming majority, let's say probably 98% of men out there, that in no way, shape, or form mistreat women, do not sexually harass women, that are nothing but polite, courteous, and kind to women. Now, all of a sudden, everybody gets painted. The entire male species gets painted with a broad brush. It's unacceptable. And we've seen that with other laws. We've seen that with smoking bans. At first, we had this pendulum, and people said, look, we need to eliminate smoking in public buildings. Fine. So the pendulum shifted. And then all of a sudden... They said, well, it's not good enough that we're banning smoking in buildings. Now we want to smoke, ban smoking in outdoor patios, in outdoor bars, on golf courses, on city streets, in any public property. And the pendulum goes way, way, way off the chart. And that's what we're seeing. We can never in this country say, you know, there's a few people that are abusing things. Fine, we'll take care of that. Nope, we've got to go all the way to the extreme. We're seeing that with the opioid epidemic right now. Let me give you an example. Perfect case. Opioids, when used correctly, when used and managed, are fine. When people have major surgery, what do they give people when they come out of surgery? They give them opioids, Vicodin or oxycodone or oxycontin. It's controlled. It is a drug that is effective. I had my wisdom teeth taken out. Uh, maybe, what was it, five years ago? Late, five years ago. And the doctor said, look, I'm going to give you a dozen uh, oxycodone because you may have pain afterwards. Great, okay, no problem. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm also going to inject the area after with additional uh, uh, anesthetic so that, you know, when it wears off, right around maybe eight hours from now, go ahead and take one. I took out of those 12, and he said, if you need more, let me know, but I'm only going to give you 12. You take them, whatever, three times, twice a day, whatever it was. I used a grand total of one. Eight hours later, he said, go ahead preemptively, take one. I did. I then went to sleep that night. The next morning, I said, you know what? I have a little pain. I'm going to take Advil. That was it. I was done. And the 11 ones, I probably still have somewhere around, and probably some FDA or, or, uh, or, or uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration is going to raid my closet saying, oh, you're medical, you got 11 of these. What are you going to do with these? So here's a perfect example. True story. The names are being changed to protect the innocent. I had an acquaintance who went in for surgery not that long ago, abdominal surgery. Goes in for abdominal surgery, gallbladder. Is in pain. So, of course, they give pain medication the first go-around. And then eight, nine hours later, the patient is in pain. Goes and calls, asks the nurse for pain medication. And the nurse says, well, there's nothing prescribed here. I'm going to have to call the on-duty resident. Well, the resident or whatever comes back and says, uh, via phone, well, Instead of oxycodone, ask the patient if, uh, if they're allergic to Tylenol. And they said, no, I'm not allergic to Tylenol. I'm not allergic to Advil. I'm not allergic to aspirin. But a Tylenol is not going I'm in major pain. I'm not going to take a Tylenol. It's not going to do anything. So this resident, actually, I think maybe she'd been an intern, on the phone with the nurse for 15 minutes. And finally, somebody, a family member, intervened and said, bring the nurse up here. 
or bring the bring the intern up here because we're not going to have this phone conversation. The nurse or the the intern comes in not that long later. Apparently, it was too much of a haul for her to get on an elevator and come two minutes uh, from wherever she was in the hospital to talk to the patient directly. And by the way, my father, Dr. Z, had he heard this nonsense, he was a, 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 a general pediatric surgeon for 40-plus years. Never in a million years would he have, have, have called a patient and said, if he's in the, in the hospital, saying, okay, can you take this? Can you? He would have gone and seen the patient. So the intern comes up and says, well... We really don't want to prescribe something. It's not on the orders. And so one of the family members says, do you not have any authority? Are you, are you a licensed physician or not? Because if you don't have the authority, then let's call somebody that does. And, of course, that intern got very, very, uh, very uh, just a little angered and flustered and that she was being questioned, didn't like the fact that somebody was being questioned, but it was common sense. And a family member said, look, we need to get, call the doctor. She's, this person's had major abdominal surgery. Get the order. Ten minutes later, the chief resident calls and ends up coming in saying, yeah, I don't know why it wasn't on the order. It should have been. And so a family member says to the intern, well, I understand there's an opioid epidemic going on, but in a hospital setting when somebody has major surgery, what's the problem? Well, we really don't like to prescribe them. So what has happened? Perfect example. The pendulum has shifted. Now, opioids are very effective. They're a good drug when used when intended, just like any drug. You can abuse any drug. You can abuse aspirin. You can abuse anything. Alcohol, drugs, food, you name it. Go out and eat 50 pounds of meat in one sitting. Chances are it's not going to be good for you. So instead of saying, look, this is a case where the patient needs it, no problem, we're going to prescribe it. Well, it was prescribed ultimately over an hour later from when the patient initially needed it. And the problem today is that now all of a sudden, because opioids are made to be a four-letter word, they're evil, they're terrible, they're responsible for this terrible epidemic, people abusing them, and many people are. But every day around the world, millions of people that undergo surgery or in, in, that are in pain for whatever reason in hospital settings need that pain medication, there now is a reluctance because we don't want to get the patient addicted. We don't want, let's try anything else because God forbid we give them an oxycodone and they need another one. Everybody now, because this pendulum has shifted, has made opioids to be evil, and they're not. Try going in for any sort of major surgery and saying, just give me two aspirin. It's not going to work. But this is what happens in this country. We have this pendulum that shifts. Instead of being reasonable and being moderate and temperate and saying, okay, we may have a problem with opioid addiction. We may have a problem with, a small problem with sexual harassment of women in the workplace. But instead, now every patient is considered to be a potential opioid uh, addict. Every single man is considered to be a sexual harasser and sexual abuser because we don't in this country have moderation. It goes from one extreme to the other until such time that people get so fed up that say, you know what, this is a load of poppycock. This is a load of bull. Enough of this. And we're almost there. 
We're almost there. We're, we're there with government regulation. We're there with taxation. We're there with cigars. Perfect example. The government has to get in the way of us enjoying a cigar. We're not vaping. We're not kids that are consuming uh, a, a vaping product that tastes like cherry or bubblegum that's loaded with other chemicals. We're enjoying cigars, as people have done for 500 years. But now, all of a sudden, everybody's got to get swept up in this vaping-type situation. It's a perfect example of the pendulum going too far. Great, you got a vaping problem. There's kids abusing vaping. That's not cigars. Keep cigars out of it. But we see the exact same things that are happening. It is nonsense. But again, it's going to take ultra-extremism for the pendulum to swing back to the center for people to say, enough. Just let's chill it. Sergeant Steve, let's hit just a few seconds of the revised version of Baby It's Cold Outside, the politically correct Me Too version of, by Kelly Clarkson and John Legend. I'm, I'm bored with this song already. It sounds terrible. I can call you right. I'm so glad that you dropped in. Time spent with you is paradise. I'll call the car and tell him to hurry. Wait, what are you still living home for? Your driver, his name. Is Oi, this is pathetic. I've heard enough. Stop it. The version by Kelly Clarkson and John Legend is atrocious. John Legend was just named, what, the sexiest man on earth? He looks like a pussy cat to me. Really? There's nothing alpha about the guy, and this song is a perfect example. Give me a break. My mother will start to worry. My daddy will be... Please, baby, it's cold outside. The Dean Martin version, that is the only version. The original Frank Lesser 1944 classic. Screw Kelly Clarkson and John Legend's versions. version. It's horrible. It's boring. It's atrocious. It's pathetic. It's weak. It is lame. I hope it doesn't sell. One digital download or CD, period. There's only one baby, it's cold outside, by the great Dean Martin. Screw the hashtag MeToo movement. The General is always on Twitter, delivering breaking news, giving you the latest intel on cigars, and battling the enemies of pleasure. Chat with the General now at Cigar Dave Show. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. 
Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. It's the most wonderful time of the show When the general is gripping a stick for a clipping And that's when you know It's the most wonderful time of the show Frankie Sumatra and the Cigar Dave Singers Happiest segment of all with cigar-friendly meetings and long ashes greetings when lieutenants call, it's the half happiest segment of all. There'll be cigars for clipping and cognac for sipping from Tampa to San Diego. It's all over the nation. It's cigar litation. It's right here on your radio. It's the most wonderful time of the show. So go through your selection and choose with affection, cause everyone knows it's the most wonderful time of the show. Frankie Sumatra and the Cigar Dave holiday singers that come out. Several times a year, especially around the holiday times. The most wonderful time of the show, most wonderful time of the year. And I'll tell you another most wonderful time is when I am at a great deli and enjoying a hot pastrami, warm pastrami on seeded rye bread with a potato pancake or a potato latke on the side. Nothing like those great kosher Jewish style delis. Sergeant Steve, when we were in Vegas several years ago for the Cigar Retailers Convention, where did we end up dining several nights? Carnegie Deli. Bingo, in the Mirage. Unfortunately, the Carnegie, that's the only remaining Carnegie Deli. The Carnegie Deli in New York, bye-bye. I would go there every time I went to New York. That's right, and there's so many great delis. I know, uh, Sergeant Steve, you're from Cincinnati, Izzy's. Gotta love Izzy's. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite at Izzy's, by the way? The potato pancakes. Potato pancakes are great. They're known for their Rubens. Yes, the Rubens classic, are fantastic. Classic. You cannot go wrong. That's another. Now, my understanding is I think Izzy's has more than one location now. They do. Um, I'm trying to remember where they opened, but they do have more than one. I know that. I'm looking right now. Now, the original is the Elm Street downtown. Yes. Okay. Now they've got, uh, let's see, in Anderson, Forest Park, Red Bank, Western Hills, Main Street, Kentucky, Florence. I didn't know they had that many. I did not either. I, uh, they, they've clearly grown, but Izzy's the original 
you can't beat. It's right downtown. It is a Cincinnati. It's like the Montgomery Inn. It's, it's, it's an institution. All right? Well, there is a institution deli in Toronto called Yitz's. The owner of Yitz's, Barry Silver. Yitz is a Jewish delicatessen catering shop in the uh, North Toronto area over on, let me see, I'm trying to remember, if I'm not mistaken, it's on Eglinton uh, Avenue West. Great, been around for over 50 years, phenomenal, great corned beef, great pastrami, the potato pancakes, the cabbage, uh, cabbage rolls, their matzo ball soup. They're known for their tongue sandwiches. I'm not a tongue guy, personally. I remember the first time my grandmother used to make tongue and slice it and she'd say here have some tongue and I remember talking to my father one time and I'd say uh he said oh you had some tongue I said yeah and I can't remember I was talking to him and and I I can't remember I said something along the lines of you know I don't know I wonder why they call it tongue he said well because it is the tongue I said wait a minute that's actually the tongue he said yeah it's a tongue of a cow never ate it again after that (laughs) Because then I could see the little taste buds on it, and that was it. But, you know, a delicacy. Well, last Sunday, after a 50-year run, Yitz's, just like other delis around the United States and around the world, closed. Closed after almost 50 years. Why? What are they going to build? Guess. Condos. Because the world needs more condos. We don't have enough condos. Everywhere you look in downtown Tampa, condos. Condos. Okay? Every every city, we're building condos. How many condos do you need? Condos, sooner or later in Miami. Everywhere you look, that's a new condo, that's a new condo. Meanwhile, nobody can sell their existing condos. So, and by the way, the Russian and South America money, that has dried up completely. So good luck with all those in Miami. But Silver bought the deli 20 years ago from... The founder, Yitz Pensioner, the guy's name was Yitz, just like Izzy. It must have been named Izzy. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of construction, a lot of change, and we are seeing delis across North America closing. And there's a number of reasons, and but not only delis. You're seeing a lot of locally owned restaurants, old-style Polish butcher shops, classic East End dim sum joints, mom-and-pop Italian restaurant, Portuguese barbecues uh, are closing. You're seeing uh, Greek restaurants that are closing, and you're seeing all these chains come in. That's another thing we don't need. We don't need more condos, and we don't need more chains. But for 50 years, Yitz's was the place in North Toronto, and they had some great uh, specials. They had the tailor, which was the lox and cream cheese, the art collector, which was Montreal smoke meat. You ever had Montreal smoke meat, Sergeant Steve? I have not. Our good friend Ian Beckles, he's from Montreal, had cousins in Montreal. My mother went to college in Montreal. Montreal smoke meat is delicious. You were not able to bring back uh, any sort of meat product back from Canada, but they changed the regulations. So when I was in Montreal a few years ago, I brought back five pounds worth of Montreal smoked meat, and it was abs- from Dunn's, and it was fantastic. So they have the author, which is the tongue sandwich. I'll pass on that. The extremely wealthy man, which is potato latkes. Middle-aged lawyer, uh, which is... Uh, oh, and they also say that basically they have you know, people that are now coming in because he had a little humidor, and... Uh, right next to the cashier or next to the cash register. So he had a humidor and people would come in and buy cigars. So basically you could have your lox and cream sandwich, your Montreal smoked meat, your tongue sandwich, your potato pancake, your 
pastrami and top it off for dessert with a couple of cigars. It was good. But what we're seeing now is all these delis going by the wayside. Give you some classics. Miami Beach, Wolfie's on Collins Avenue. I remember as a kid going there with my grandfather. And I used to go down every time I'd be in Miami for business, I would always stop at Wolfie's. In fact, I remember going to a number of cigar events down in Miami, and all the cigar manufacturers afterward would be going around, you know, midnight to grab a late bite over at Wolfie's. It was a classic. Rascal House in uh, North Miami Beach, gone. Pumpernick's, gone. Carnegie Deli, gone. We're seeing all these delis across the country, these, these bastions of history, gone. Because certainly... Diets have changed. People have changed. Now, all of a sudden, the millennials, you know, they want everything delivered to them. They don't even want to go out. Sergeant Steve, let me ask you a question. Do you notice a difference when you go out to restaurants, lower numbers of people out at restaurants, and more increase in the number of Uber Eats deliveries you see or other delivery services? Absolutely. Big Look difference. at the lines at the restaurants for the, the, the Uber Eats drivers or DoorDash drivers. Big. And yet... Certain places that used to have huge lines, no more. And a lot of restaurants, the difference between them making it and not making it is their bar business. When you don't have people dining in, the bar business goes away. Used to go to a great burger joint here, gone, because people just started taking out, and they started getting the delivery. So we're seeing a change. Now, the good news is there are still some del- You go to Katz's in New York, Lower East Side, they're going to be around forever. Knock on, knock on granite. Because those are institutions. The Mirage the, the Carnegie at, uh, at the Mirage in Vegas, always busy, packed. Oh, yeah, slammed. Packed. Can't get in the place. It is incredible. And I feel sometimes that I've got to eat there almost every day and night because you don't get your deli fix. Here in the Cigar City of Tampa, there's really not any great delis. It is a shame. And Orlando, there used to be a great deli called Ronnie's. He used to work for Wolfie's, Wolfie Cohen. Gone. All of a sudden, I, I used to go in there with some friends. We'd fly in. Every Sunday, we'd go in for brunch, for lunch. I'd go in one time. I said, yeah, yeah, can you get me the, uh, the sh- courtesy shuttle to take me over to Ronnie's? And he said, you didn't hear, did you? I said, what? no, hear what? Ronnie's closed last week. They're going to demolish it. They're putting up a new shopping center. Ronnie owned the whole shopping center. His family didn't want the business, and after, what, 40 years, that was it. Ronnie's was an institution in Orlando on, on East Colonial uh, Boulevard. All these great places are gone, and it is indeed a shame. There's nothing like when you go in, Sergeant Steve, they give you the bucket of pickles, mm-hmm. the uh, coleslaw, the sauerkraut. You get a nice sandwich. What do, what do you order when you go to when you used to go to Izzy's or you used to go to Carnegie? If I don't get the Reuben, I, I just love just a, a good salami sandwich. Yeah, salami, there you go. I'm a, I'm a huge salami fan. There you go. And, and it's the Hebrew National. Mm-hmm. And, it, and if you go to the one at Katz's, they have the dried salami. They actually dry them. Mm-hmm. And, and dr- stack that sandwich up tall. Absolutely. Can't go wrong with that. And the potato pancake. Uh, the Reuben, to me, good pastrami. Can't go wrong. But not the stuff that comes out of a plastic, you know, like the boar's head that they slice. I'm talking about the pastrami or corned beef that Carnegie or Katz's, they actually cook and make themselves. Start. You know who else uh, makes great uh, pastrami? He got my grandmother Ida's recipe, Colonel Ange. Yes, he does. That That is fantastic. We had that at the uh, Buffalo Pleasure Fest a number of years ago. That was off the charts. It took him about four times because I kept eating it. My sister kept eating it and said, nope, needs a little more of this because my grandmother never really left the recipe. We just knew rough what was in there, and he nailed it. It is fantastic. But, again, to do proper corned beef pastrami, you're talking about like three, 
third, three, four weeks to let that yeah, properly. Yeah, it's not easy. No, you got to let it brine and everything. So it is indeed a sad occasion. I'll tell you what else is sad. Or as Ross Perot used to say, it is sad. Larry King, it is just sad. Boys today are not being raised properly. When we come back for the final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show, we'll talk about a study that was just released about how to raise successful boys. What needs to take place in the schools today to make sure boys succeed? It's not happening. We're going to talk about it around the corner. Check out the all-new CigarDave.com. Get info on the cigars and libations the general enjoys during the show. Get recipes from the pooch pit and drink cocktails, too. You can listen to the show on our 24-7 stream or download the latest podcast to listen to anytime. Get it all at CigarDave.com. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth, it will entice you to enjoying more and more of the Vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. Cigar connoisseurs and enthusiasts love going into their retailer's humidor and seeing what's new, what's exciting. It's like a kid in a candy store. And we've got a great way that you can enjoy and sample fabulous cigars from incredible manufacturers. It's the Cigar Dave Officers Club. Every month, you will receive three fantastic cigars in an Officers Club Ziploc pouch shipped directly to you for $22.95. Now, in... The past year, we've had incredible selections. We had the world of Davidoff, which featured an Avo and a Davidoff Winston Churchill. We've had cigars from A.J. Fernandez, from Rocky Patel, from Placencia, Drew Estate, Syndicato, Fonseca. Incredible cigars that you will love. Become a member of the Officers Club today. Join now. Go to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. You will absolutely love it. Ah, the great Dean Martin, ever so smooth. Just listen to him, how silky smooth he is. And I can just picture Dean, tuxedo on, 
pocket square, of course, and a little boozy, a little sauce in the glass in his hand with the microphone in his right hand, the sauce on the left side, the great Dean Martin. All right, the Officers Club selection for December 2019. I mentioned it earlier. The brand-new Gurkha Real just released several weeks ago, shipped to retailers across the country, made its debut at the Cigar Retailers uh, or the Premium Cigar Association Convention last uh, June, July in Las Vegas. It is a nice, mild, medium-flavored, smooth, creamy cigar. Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. A top Dominican Olor binder, so you're going to get a little sweetness from the Olor binder. Dominican Criollo 98 Lajero and Seco paired with a little bit of Nicaraguan Secos in the filler to bring out that nice, smooth, creamy, very pleasant, easy taste on the palate. Four different sizes, a Robusto 5x52, a Toro 6x54, Churchill, 7 inches in length with a 52 ring gauge, or 54, 52, 64, 7 inch. And the Magnum, or the Gordo, 6 by 60. Suggested retail between $8 and $8.95. Great price for a fantastic cigar. If you are not a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, join right now. You, you're too late for the Gurkha Real for December. But for January, we've got a very special selection coming from Alec Bradley. So go right now to CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Boys in schools today are being neglected. I have discussed this many times. Boys are now second-class citizens. Girls are getting the attention. And why is that? And we're hearing more and more cases of of boys that are being diagnosed with uh, ADHD, attention deficit disorder. We've never seen all these HD, uh, ADHD cases. In 2003, 7.8% of kids were diagnosed with ADHD. In 2007, it rose to 9.5%. In 2011, 11%. A 40% increase in eight years. Why? Are more kids... Do they really have ADHD? No. I'll tell you exactly what's happening. We are not allowing boys to be boys. Example, study released by the researchers at the University of Eastern Finland recently tried to document whether boys actually achieve less in school when they're restricted from running around and being physically active. They studied 153 kids ages 6 to 8. They tracked how much physical activity and sedentary time they had during the day, and sure enough, According to a report by Belinda Luscombe in Time magazine, the less moderate to vigorous uh, physical activity boys had each day, the harder it was for them to develop good reading skills. So what have I always said? Let boys be boys. What do boys do? Boys are like little puppies when they're kids. They like to run around. They like to roughhouse. They like to wrestle, play ball, climb fences. They like to throw a ball around, run around. Sergeant Steve, when you were a boy, did you do that? Absolutely. I did that. We all did that. My boys do it today. And we had recess. We didn't have one recess. We had, I think, three or four recesses every couple hours for about 20 minutes to go out 15, 20 minutes, run around, burn off that energy. It's like Baron, my 21-month-old German Shepherd puppy. i got to take him for a three-, four-mile walk in the morning or let him run around, throw the ball to get out that energy until he settles down. Nothing unusual about that. But what have we seen a proliferation of the last, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years? 
Boys not being allowed to be boys. Recess time being cut. Kids being overprotected. We are not letting boys roughhouse and wrestle because we can't have that happen. We can't allow boys to be boys. We want them to be the sedentary, uh, just basically stoic children. And girls are different. Girls don't need that type of running around and they need playtime, but not that kind. So what we're seeing, researchers are saying, that we're forcing kids to sit at school for six, seven, eight hours a day with limited recess time. When you're a kid, look, today, if I sit for more than an hour, an hour and a half, I lose focus. I've got to distract. I've got to take a break, walk around, do something. So researchers saying mistakes are leading to a three-pronged perfect set of storms for kids, for boys primarily. One, overprotection of kids, trying to keep them safe from all physical dangers, which ultimately increases their likelihood of real health issues. Two, we're inhibiting children's academic growth, especially among boys, because the lack of physical activity makes it harder for boys to concentrate. And third, when boys fail to conform to this low-energy paradigm that now schools and teachers and administrators want boys to fit into, they're being overdiagnosed or even being punished for boys reacting the way they're naturally built to react. That is to run around and expect and, and, and expend energy. Boys are rambunctious. Boys are in a constant state of motion, running, jumping, fighting, playing, getting, getting hurt, getting upset, jumping right back into a physical, uh, physical action. But at school, they're required to sit for long periods of time, hours, days. So how does that make them feel? Like they're being punished. Often, when boys disrupt class after sitting two, three hours and need to get some energy unwound, how are they punished? By being forced to skip recess. Thus, they sit longer, the problem gets worse. The more time kids spend sitting, the less time being physically active, the fewer gains they are making in the classroom. Girls now are being put to the front of the line. Teachers spending more time with girls. Whereas boys, they're saying, oh, you've got too much energy, your problems, we're going to put you to the back of the line. So there is a sexist discrimination going on in classrooms, not against girls, but against boys. Researchers are now saying that girl behavior is considered the gold standard in schools, and boys are treated like defective girls instead of being treated like boys and let them go out and run around. So we're now living in a dystopian, scaredy-cat world. Limited physical activity leads to real physical and mental harm in kids. What we're seeing is that even schools that have playgrounds, monkey bars, or swing sets, or just any other type of, of a device or any contraption that a child could get hurt on, can't go on it. Even woods. I remember we'd go out, play in the woods. Uh, there's a pond where we used to go at school. Nope, today, can't go near that because you could fall in the pond, the woods, you could get stung by a bee. It's snow time now. They don't even want you making snowballs. Nope, can't have snowball fights. Somebody could get hurt. Restricting boys' movement is a problem. And this ADHD nonsense is being overdiagnosed. How do we solve this problem? It's simple. 
Listen up, school administrators. Listen up, parents. Let boys be boys. Let them run around. Let them partake in physical activities. They're not girls. Treat them as such. Treat them differently. We'll talk more about that. That's how we can make boys succeed. That's how we can turn boys into fine young adults and into alpha males. The general just solved the problem. Amazing. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor, always be full. Mayor Cutter, always be sharp. Mayor Ashby, extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. And screw all those teachers and administrators that want to restrict boys and make them into girls. No way. Let boys be boys.